0: Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. Don't you look lovely? I, literally, everybody I see just look phenomenal. I love it. I love it. Everybody uh, got dressed up for, for Jesus. I love it. So, guys, I'm going to start today's message by telling you about something a little bit uh, crazy that I did back in 2013. How many of you are familiar with something called Tough mutter? Anybody? Okay, a handful of people. Has anyone been in a Tough mutter? Okay, well, I see that hand. Uh, very nice. <clears throat> so, Tough Mudder is what's called a mud run, and it's kind of a thing people do, and it's basically an endurance race based on a whole bunch of different obstacles. So, it's like uh, walls you have to climb over, and muddy troughs you have to crawl through and a big thing you have to jump off of a really high platform into some murky water it's terrifying and and the worst one you have to go in this dumpster full of ice water and swim under a wall and come out the other side fully clothed it's terrifying and at the end before you go through the finish line you have to run through a field of live electric wires hanging down that are actually electrocuting you as you run Uh, and people pay to do this For some reason, and that's, that's what I did in 2013. And uh, you go through the finish line, and all you get for this is they, they give you a t-shirt and an ice-cold beer and, like, I guess bragging rights that you survived this terrible, terrible thing. Um, now, <clears throat> there are, if you go and look at it on the internet, you'll see a bunch of pictures of these, like, extremely fit-looking, amazing people just, like, screaming in triumph as they, as they push through these obstacles. <laughs> don't think that that's what I looked like. Uh, they took pictures of everybody, and you can look at them afterwards. And I deleted all of them, and I'll tell you why. Because every single picture of me going through this thing, I'm like, Ugh! Uh! Ah! like it was not. None of it was cool. None of it was was. Bra- that's why you're not seeing any pictures of that from me because they're all gone. They will never be seen again. Okay, I'm telling you all of this uh, because this type of of uh, endurance race, obstacle race, it, it is. Well, it's not directly applicable necessarily to, to something related to the resurrection, but as you're going to see, we are talking today about a different kind of endurance race. Uh, the race that every single one of us is in the middle of running, it's the race of our lives. And the question that I want us to be asking today as we, as we think about the resurrection, as we think about Easter, is what does it mean for us to endure When our lives, when this world that we're in is so broken, how do we endure uh, this obstacle race of our lives? So let's dive right in. We're going to look to get today to answer that question at Philippians chapter 3, starting around verse 7, and it's going to be page 985 in the House Bibles. There are House Bibles in the seats around you, maybe in the seat in front of you or behind you. Um, So grab a Bible and and turn there with me. Before you do that, though, or while you're turning there, I'm going to pray for us and then we'll get into it. Okay? Let's pray. Father God. First of all, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you for the gift of life, of new life. Uh, Thank you for bringing him uh, out of that grave and, and changing everything for us. I pray today that as we uh, talk about the resurrection, as we think about uh, what it means to come alive in Jesus, I pray that we would hear clearly what it is that you have for us. Uh, As I preach, I ask that I would simply disappear and that your Holy Spirit would remain. I pray that we would have ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning. I pray all this in the name of Jesus, the risen one. Amen. Amen. Okay, so you've got Philippians open in front of you. Probably not. I know most of you don't, but you just imagine I'm imagining that you've got it open in front of you. Before we read, I want to give you just a little bit of what we call here at Grace the world behind the text. A little bit of of what was going on when this was being written. So really big picture, Philippians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a, a church that was in the Greek city of Philippi, kind of the northeast part of the Aegean Sea, if you want to look it up on a map. And he wrote them this letter. Uh, but the, the key thing that we need to understand about for today is the fact that he wrote them this letter while Paul was in prison. So Paul was in chains when he wrote this letter. He was, he was uh, in jail, and, and that's really important because he had been put in jail uh, presumably because he was teaching things about Jesus that were a bit threatening to the Roman Empire. It sounded like he was undermining the Roman em- emperor's authority, and so they put him in prison. And we may think about prison as kind of like a a a place that you don't want to go but it's kind of like free housing you get free food or whatever that's not what ancient prisons were like all right ancient prisons were terrible they didn't feed you you had to rely on other people to come and bring you food there were diseases and, and you'd be exposed to the elements it's a terrible terrible thing and Paul makes it clear as he talks about his experience in prison he thinks it's a good chance that he might die there He's really expecting this might be the end of my life as he writes this letter to the Philippians. This is something terrible that he has to endure. So he's writing this letter in chains. But here's the problem. In that culture, in in ancient Philippi, it was a very honor and shame-based culture. And so it's entirely possible that Paul being in prison was was kind of an embarrassment to people. It might be an embarrassment to the Philippians, like, who, this guy's supposedly this big, powerful apostle, and he's supposedly this incredible man of God or whatever, so what's he doing in prison, right? Like, how, is, did he fail? Is he, is he a failure? Are we really following this guy? You, you can imagine that's what people are thinking in an honor-and-shame-based society. And so when we come to, to Philippians chapter 3, Paul kind of addresses this, this feeling they might have of embarrassment. And you think, as you're about to read, you think that he's trying to defend himself and be like, no, 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 it's actually okay. I promise, I'm, I'm, I'm who I, I, I'm legit, I'm all, because he starts giving all of these um, credentials, his, his uh, I guess, his resume. He says, he says look, I'm a pure, pure-blooded Jewish man, right? I'm, uh, I'm, I was a zealous and obedient Pharisee. I'm righteous, I'm a righteous man. And, and you think, again, he's defending himself But then he takes a significant turn in his thinking. Here's what he says. Let's let's read this together. Here's what he says in verse 7. After giving this, this, this list of his accomplishments, he says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Okay, so right when you think Paul's about to defend himself and try to save face about being in prison, he takes his accomplishments, he takes his resume, and he says it's all garbage. Specifically, he uses a, a very interesting Greek word, and here, kids, I'm going to teach you a fun Greek word. You're going to be able to speak some Greek today. You ready? Here's the word. I want, kids, I want you to say it with me. Scubalon. Can you say it? nailed it oh that's amazing and parents i'm so sorry that this is the greek word i taught your kids because skubalon has one of two meanings meaning number one is gross uh like food scraps and rotting stuff that you might throw out into the alley behind your house for street dogs to eat okay it's a very specific meaning but that's exactly what it is skubalon the other meaning and again parents i apologize for saying this on easter but the other meaning is poop all right there i said it in a sermon on easter i apologize Uh, but hey kids how fun that the the pastor said that in in his sermon skubalon skubalon basically what paul is saying is all this stuff that the world thinks is so great his resume his accomplishments all the things that you might want to pat him on the back for he says it is all foul-smelling street garbage it's scubalon. That's what it seems like to him compared to knowing Christ Jesus. So what the world says is valuable, Paul says is worthless. That gives you a pretty, in, uh, pretty clear indication, doesn't it? That he thinks differently about this whole situation of being in prison, differently than you might expect. He's not trying to save face. He seems to be talking about it like it's a good thing. All right, so if Paul doesn't, like these things that the world considers valuable. If it's scubalon to him, then what does he consider valuable? Well, he says it in verse eight. He says, knowing Christ Jesus and becoming one with him. That is what matters to Paul. So what does he mean by that? Well, let's, let's keep reading and we'll, we'll find out. So continuing on in verse nine, he says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Okay, so let's talk about that. Here prisoner Paul is, is, again, he's saying all my former accomplishments, all that, that self-righteousness I used to be so high on, it is street garbage, right? It's scuba on. My status, my, my being right with God, it does not depend on any of that stuff. None of that trash has anything to do with it. Look, look at the end of verse nine. He says, what does it depend on? It depends on faith, faith. And when Paul says faith, he's talking about faith in Christ, specifically faith in his resurrection. Now, I know that if you've been in the church for a while, when you hear people talk about like faith in Jesus, faith in Christ, it, it, it just becomes kind of a mush because it doesn't really carry a lot of weight. What does that mean? What are we talking about when we say faith in, in, in the resurrection of Jesus? Maybe that's a bit fuzzy for you. It, it, that's totally legit if it is a bit fuzzy for you, these very common ideas. And well, if it's fuzzy for you, here's first of all what I would encourage you to do. If you're interested, go back and watch some of the last few messages that we've, that we've done in this sermon series, because we've been taking a very fuzzy concept of resurrection and, and making it very, very clear. And, and frankly, this series, I mean, it's—I've it's, enjoyed it. We've been all over the place. We've talked about Byzantine artwork and pan-dimensional babies and Mufasa. I mean, it, it's—we're—we've got it all. It's a, it's a great series if you want to go back and watch. But let me do this. I'm going to give you a bit of a nutshell, a little, little summary version of what we've talked about because it is very important to understand that when Paul says faith, uh, faith in Christ, he's not just using some like religious sounding concept. He's talking about something very specific. So here's what we've talked about. Uh, in a nutshell, the story we've looked at is, is the grand narrative sweep of the Bible, of the whole, the whole storyline of scripture, the story of God rescuing humanity from the clutches of sin, from the clutches of death, uh, from, from the powers of this world that keep us enslaved. And that story, as we've seen, it comes to its fruition in the resurrection of Jesus. And here's why, in the ancient Jewish world, People believed, ancient Jewish people believed, that at the end of time, when when everything came to an end, God was going to remake everything. He was going to remake all of this brokenness into a new heavens and a new earth, a new creation. A new creation where uh, there would be, uh, well, for one thing, heaven and earth would be one. So so if you were in that new creation, you could be face to face with God, no longer separate. Uh, But also, it's a place where there would be no more death, no more crying, no more pain. That was their vision of this, of this future new creation. And they believed specifically that, that in that new creation, God was going to uh, take his people and he would bring them back to life, resurrection. He would, he would resurrect them from the dead. So that was the ancient Jewish hope. At the end of time, God is making all things new and we get to go live with him there. That's what the scriptures said would happen. The major twist in the story, though, the thing that, that blew everybody's mind and, and uh, absolutely just changed everything was the fact that on that first Easter morning, as Jesus walked out of the grave, that future hope, that future resurrection, well, it wasn't future anymore. It was present. It was now. That, that coming new creation that was going to happen at the end of time, well, it was starting to change our world today that was the twist that was what shocked everybody that that, that's what paul says in verse 10. that's why he says that he wants to experience the mighty power that raised christ from the dead because remember that hope was that all of god's people would be resurrected well now in christ what we're realizing is that that's starting to happen today so jews gentiles everybody now has access to resurrection that's what happened on easter That ancient Jewish hope for the end of time was coming true in Jesus now. Paul says he wants to experience that same power that raised Christ because he has faith that that same power is going to raise him as well. So that is what Paul means when he says faith in Christ, faith in what he accomplished for us. As we've said multiple times in this series, the resurrection of Jesus is the focal point of our faith. It's the focal point of our faith. Because He rose, we will rise too. Our ultimate destiny as His followers is that new creation. That's where things are headed. And it's that new creation that has already begun to change our world. And that truth, that hope, it changes everything including, perhaps, perhaps most importantly, how we view and how we endure the challenges of our lives. It changes that. Now, I know that's a bit of a rabbit trail. That's a rather large nutshell that we just looked at, but but I think it's important now that we understand what Paul's talking about when he says faith in Christ. So let's go back to Paul in prison and his mindset about this imprisonment. Look at what he says at the end of verse 10. This is, this is, Nuts. But look what he says. He says, I want to suffer with Jesus, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Who says that they want to suffer? Right? That, that's a crazy talk. Is Paul some kind of masochist? No. He's not some weirdo that likes pain or something like that. He's not some person that's going to pay money to go run through a field of electric wires or something like that and go through a mud run. That's not what he's doing. That's not what he's saying here. What Paul is saying is when Jesus, when the Son of God entered our world, he suffered, right? He suffered. He, out of his love for us, the creator of life itself took on uh, pain and violence and even death on our behalf. He took it on himself willingly, and why did he do that? He did it to bring about new life for us. That's what Jesus did, and so Paul is saying, look, look, I know what my future destiny is. I know where things are headed. Because Jesus rose, I'm going to rise again too. Death has no power over me anymore, so look, if I'm going to suffer in this life, if I'm gonna suffer for following Christ, if I'm gonna be be chained to this wall here and die here in prison, if I'm gonna do that, if that's gonna happen because I preached about him, then guess what, my life is gonna look like his life. My life is gonna look like his as a living demonstration of God's love for humanity. I'm gonna be living out the self-giving love of Jesus. And so bottom line, Paul's saying, look, I will gladly give my life, I'll gladly suffer, If it means more people will know that love, will find that life, I want to live like him. Now, again, Paul's perspective on this life has fundamentally changed because of what he believes. All my human accomplishments, my resume, it's garbage. It's scuba lawn, right? Suffering and even dying like Jesus is worth everything. It's worth every second because I know where my story ends. You're embarrassed that I'm in prison? Well, I'm telling you, this is the entire point. That's what Paul's saying. This is why he says at the beginning of his letter, this is a a verse maybe you've heard before. He says, I will continue to be bold for Christ, right? Even if it lands me in prison, as I have been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying, it's even better. In other words, if I live, I'm going to live like him, giving my life so others can find life. And if I die, well, <laughs> I know I'm going to rise again. So look, it's, an ult- it's like the ultimate win-win scenario. So why does Paul think this way? Why is this his mindset? Well, because he is now a resurrection person he's a resurrection person whether you are looking at the way he lives or you're looking at the way he dies you are going to see the truth of what jesus accomplished on easter morning the resurrection of jesus is the focal point of our faith and it changes everything now i mentioned at the beginning of this message that we're talking about how to endure, how to endure in the midst of this broken world, Paul could endure prison because he was a resurrection person. His mindset had shifted so let 's make this practical let 's make it about us, about you and me. How do we endure? How do we have the same mindset as Paul? How do we become resurrection people? Because look this stuff that, that paul 's talking about, this was countercultural back in ancient Philippi. But it may even be more countercultural now. Because think about where we live. We live in, in what, suburban Indiana. I'm telling you, our achievements, our accomplishments, our resumes, they sure don't seem like garbage to us, do they? Now, we hold them up pretty high, we think they're a pretty big deal. And all this stuff about suffering, about pain, No, thank you. (laughs) That's our cultural—we built an entire culture on the idea of avoiding pain and and holding off death for as long as possible. I mean, not many of us would willingly suffer for Jesus, much less suffer for kind of anything. That's just sort of the way that we live. So how, in in modern 2023 suburban Indiana, how do we become resurrection people? Is it even possible— Well, I think it is, but to find out how, we're going to keep reading and look at what Paul says next. Paul says this in, in verse 12. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I press on to reach the end of the race. So here Paul is using a metaphor. Of a race, a foot race. Uh, It's actually a pretty common metaphor. You can find it several places in the New Testament. But it's important for us to pay attention to the kind of race that Paul's talking about here. Because this is not the kind of race that's about beating other people, right? This isn't a race about speed. It's not about being the fastest. It's a race to endure. He says in verse 14, I press on to reach the end of the race. That's the goal. That's what he's trying to accomplish. What he's describing here, it's kind of like Tough Mudder. He is describing a, a race in which uh, the goal is to overcome obstacles and, and crawl through the mud and push through. The point is success, to successfully reach the finish line, to finish. That's what matters, to endure to the end. And in case it's not clear, what's the finish line in this metaphor? It's resurrection. It's new life. It's new creation. That is, is, is the finish line. That's what Paul is dead set to reach. He says, verse 13 forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, right? Forgetting all the scuba on I used to build my life on and pressing forward to the end of the race. Now, I want to be clear about something. In case you're wondering, uh, what Paul is not saying here is that we've got to somehow earn our way into salvation, like running the race so that we can go to heaven when we die or whatever. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. He makes it so clear in so many other places that our entrance into new creation, our resurrection has nothing to do with our own human effort, right? It's not up to us. It's up to what Christ has done for us. Okay, I just want to make that clear in case you think that we're running this race to try to get into new creation. That's not what Paul is saying. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is because of what Christ did for me, what he did for us, because of the future hope that I now have, I don't want to give my life to anything else. I don't want to fix my eyes on garbage. That's not what I'm going to fix my eyes on. Why would I? Whether I live or whether I die, I want my life to demonstrate the power, the life-changing power of the resurrection. That's what I'm striving for. That's what I'm laser-focused on. That's my finish line. That's why I'm not ashamed of these chains, because they're not going to keep me from the prize. I'm running. I'm pressing on to finish the race. All right, so here's my big question for us this Easter. What if, hypothetically, what if we all had that same mentality? Like, like literally, what, what if every one of us, what if you and I were so confident, so confident of our future resurrection that we would be willing to give every last breath of our life to live like Jesus? What would happen? What would it look like for us collectively to be resurrection people, what would that look like? Well, I'll, I'll tell you three, three big things. I'll tell you three things that define resurrection people. First, resurrection people, we have hope. We have hope. And that matters right now because this is a time of despair, isn't it? Despair. People are despairing. There is no hope. Our culture is fractured and divided. We're, we're chronically isolated and alone. Everybody's living in fear of something. They're living in fear of of mass shootings or AI taking over or those people, whoever those people are, we live in fear. Can you even imagine? Imagine what it would be like if we, if Grace Church as a group, if we began living every day like the resurrection was a sure thing. What would it look like if we faced tomorrow with the confidence that things are headed toward new creation, that God is in the business of restoring this broken world? if that was our confidence, if that's what we were so sure of, for one thing, we wouldn't be afraid, would we? Why would we be? Because we wouldn't even be afraid of death. Death, the ultimate thing that should have power over us, doesn't have power anymore. And whenever we'd encounter the brokenness of our world, uh, the, the, the injustice and the pain and the hatred of our world, guess what we would see? We would see God working to bring new life, new creation, and we would want to join him in his work of healing and restoring and transforming this world. It started with Jesus rising from the grave, but it didn't stop there. It's been continuing through his people ever since. So when we go in, in our lives, when we walk and race through our lives with that mentality, everywhere we go, we see new creation springing up around us because God's spirit works through us to heal this broken world, to remake it to a new creation. If we lived as resurrection people, we would show our friends and our neighbors and our classmates what true hope actually looks like. And I think they would want some of what we have. Especially right now, in this time of despair, resurrection people have hope, true hope. Second, resurrection people endure. Life is hard. Right? I don't even need to say that. It's it's ridiculous to even say it. We all know it. Life is hard. Our world is broken. That's just a fact. And and by the way, choosing the path of self-giving love like Jesus, frankly, what that means is we're making life even harder, right? We're choosing to do things that are even more difficult by setting our own interests aside, which is why with with a world that's so difficult and a life that's so hard, it's why our mindset is so vital. I'll tell you what, when we come up against muddy walls to climb and, and ice water to swim through and electric wires hanging down, when we encounter the, the, the obstacles of our life in this endurance race, one of two things is going through our minds. If we don't have the resurrection in view, I'll tell you what you think. You come up against an obstacle and you think, oh no, another one. I don't know if I could keep going. I don't know if I could keep doing this. Right? That's what we think. But on the other hand, if we are running to finish this race with new creation in view, with resurrection, with our eyes fixed on new life, if that's our mentality and we know where our story is going and we're just trying to finish well, well, then our mindset when we come up against these obstacles is, you think that's going to stop me? Come on. I know where I'm headed. I know where things are going. That's not going to be enough to slow me down. Listen to how Paul describes this mindset when he, he talks about this in one of his other letters. He says, look, we have now this light, this hope shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power, it's not from it's from God, not from ourselves. Listen to this. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed but we're not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life, the new life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. You see, resurrection people, we endure because we are living for so much more than this. And the power that that we have to overcome these obstacles, to to get through this, this endurance race, that power doesn't come from us. It's not willpower. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. It's the power of God's spirit living in us. That is how we endure. So we're people who hope. We're people who endure. Finally, resurrection people are people who have our priorities straight. We have our priorities straight. Look, I've already said this, but I'm going to say it again. Just like in ancient Philippi, we live in an achievement-oriented culture, don't we? Whether it's our career or our, our grades at school or the car we drive or the number of followers we have on Instagram, we care an awful lot, an awful lot about the things that our world considers valuable. That is, until until we dedicate our lives, we give our lives to the resurrected Christ, until we begin to grapple with our future destiny in God's new creation, until we realize, like Paul, that all the stuff that our culture values is scuba lawn. It is foul-smelling street garbage. Look, achievement, clout, success, wealth, uh, power, fame, influence, followers, none of that stuff lasts. It is all destined for the grave. You can't take that stuff with you. Every single one of those things is, is garbage compared to knowing Jesus. If our eyes are focused on those things, we will not endure. We will not endure. But if we're resurrection people if we are, our, our priorities are straight and we have our eyes fixed on Jesus standing at the finish line and beckoning us to keep going, keep pressing on, keep running this race, if that's where our eyes are focused, then our lives will be built on something eternal. For His sake, for His sake, I have discarded everything else counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Resurrection people have hope. Resurrection people endure. And resurrection people have our priorities straight. And so this Easter, I just want to ask you this. Are you a resurrection person? Are you a resurrection person? Is your trust, is your faith, is your life built on the resurrection of Jesus and what it accomplished for you? Do you know where your story ends? Because our world fundamentally changed on Easter morning, and Jesus is inviting you to change with it. In this endurance race of life, what is your finish line? Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church. And the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.